0: Welcome back. I'm Jared. This is episode 55: six things to do when starting a voiceover business.
1: Jumping is the hardest thing to do. Once you do that, everything becomes a little bit easier. But don't stop taking chances, take as many chances as you can.
0: Welcome to Up Your Average, a podcast where together, We will navigate the ups and downs of life and business. I'm your host, Jared Van Dyke. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to have someone on the podcast with me today. He was a radio pro for 32 years, but the call to be an entrepreneur was too great. And he left radio with a full heart and he started his voiceover business. He's worked for some of the biggest names in the business, BMW, BASF, Delta, Adidas, Merck and more, way too many more to talk about. He's the host of the podcast, The Voice Over Hustle. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve O'Brien. Hey,
1: Jared. Thanks for having me on the show today. I really appreciate this opportunity.
0: Oh, man, I'm, I'm excited to have you here. So knowing that you're in voiceover and knowing that you went 32 years as an employee at a radio station and making that jump. I'm curious. I just got to know, and I'm sure everybody wants to know, how was that jump? Was it, was it easy to do?
1: Oh, no, no. Uh, first off, my wife is the one who is the most courageous in the family. And I had actually, you know, had a plan several times of Hey, I'm gonna do this, and then on this date, I'm gonna quit. And you know, the date would come and I'd be like, oh well, you know, this is happening. And so I put it off like three times. And my wife is like, You need to just nut up here. Okay. You just need to do it. Well, the last time came and I it was like two or three days before I was supposed to quit. And I went in, I told her, I'm like, I can't quit. She's like, you can, you can do it. I'm like, no, you don't understand. If I wait two more months, they will give me a bonus. How about that? Wow. How about if I quit after the bonus? She goes, yeah, I, I'm, I'm on board with that. Yes, that's, that's good. So I did quit after that. And I felt like when I walked in that day to the radio station, and you have to understand the station I worked at, it's seven stories. It's a huge building. Oh, wow. It's downtown Indianapolis, which is, it was on the circle. It is a palace. It is the most gorgeous building, a a radio station I've ever seen. And I've seen radio stations all over the country. And I walked in and I kind of felt like everybody knew that I was quitting that day. It's like everybody had a little extra high or something to me. And I'm like, does somebody know something that I don't know? But I walked into my boss's office just to kind of chat with him. Cause I had just gotten back from vacation and he wasn't there. So I, I left him a voicemail and he came running down to the studio and he's looking in the window. I had this great big glass window into my, I had my own studio, which was also an office. And he walks in, he goes, what's going on? And I'm like, aren't you going to ask me about vacation or anything? He goes, all right. How's vacation? I'm like, it was good. He goes, what's going on? <laughs> and I said, I'm going to give you my notice. He goes, I knew it. I'm like, does everybody else know? He goes, I don't think so. I'm like, because I feel like everybody's looking at me oddly. And he's like, no, he said that you never leave me voicemails. And so I knew something was up. Wow. But I've, I've known his name is Bob Richards. I worked with him. Uh, He'd hired me a couple of different times. And so we were very good friends, very close. He was very understanding. And he said, Can you give me more time? And I'm like, Absolutely. If you need more time, uh, I'll give you two more weeks. And then it was at the end of that, he said, Can you give me a little more time? I'm like, All right, I'll give you another week or so. And then it was, Can you give me more time? Like, no, I can't. But I will I will go on as a contract employee. So I was a contract employee, and they were really. One of my first big clients. Oh, that's yeah. pretty cool. So I did probably about 75% of what my job was. I just did it from, you know, my, uh, my isolation booth here at home. And so that was a great way to start my career. I was lucky that my first big client almost paid my salary of what I was making before, minus the benefits.
0: Oh, that's pretty but, wild.
1: So, yes, for me, I'm a coward. All the way to the bone. My wife is the most adventurous person you'll ever meet. Nothing seems to frighten her, uh, least of all me. And so uh, she was really excited that I finally did it. And it has been been a lot of ups and downs. But I'll tell you, if you're looking at jumping, that is the hardest part, is the jump. Once you've done it, there is kind of a, "Ah, all right, I've done it. Let's do this, you know.
0: I totally agree with you when it comes to leaving something, it is so hard to do because when I made my jump, you know, I've talked about this before, another podcast, when I made my jump, it's like, it's, it's a whole new world. It's can be scary. It's not for everyone, but if you're called to it and it's hard and then once you're, it's hard to walk away from it. And once you're in it, you just know it's like, it's something feels right. I mean, did you, did you feel that way?
1: I think you're right. And I think the term you used, calling, really matters because we think of calling, we think of someone, you know, to religion or maybe a firefighter or a police officer. But I think we are all called to do something in our life, something that just feels like us. For you, it's mule skinner. You know, hey, that's (laughs) what you do. For me, it's voiceover. And I love, I love what I do day in and day out. But more importantly, I think the life of an entrepreneur just fits who I am. I don't do well with people looking over my shoulder. I like making my own deadlines. I like working with my own clients more so than I do for someone else's. Not that I didn't, you know, radio was really, really good to me for a long time. And I worked with incredible people and those, those are some of my best friends to this day, but working for myself, it just kind of like fits like a glove, don't you think?
0: Don't you do it I, I, I totally agree totally because when when you get into it yes it can be scary and you have to be ready for the ups and downs i think that's mm-hmm. something a lot of people don't prepare for and mentally aren't ready for okay it's not every week i got a paycheck coming in now it's you don't work you don't eat yeah and i'm a you know with you the way you did it was pretty freaking amazing you have you went into it after 32 years of being in radio, and then you stayed on and got a bonus, which had to be a nice little extra cushion there. Did you have, you know, when you, when you planned this jump, did you have a cushion of money just in case, or, or were you just, let's just do it?
1: No, I, I, am, a, I am a planner at heart. Um, I'm driven by fear more than anything else. Okay. And so saving money is something that just I feel natural at, um, I'll probably die with a buck in my hand just because like, <laughs> oh, just, just in case I need it, there might be a toll who knows, <laughs> you know? So for me, not only did I save, uh, I saved three different ways. Oh, I wow. was uploading my 401k with the highest amount you could put in. It was like 20%, you know, of my income was going to 401k. I also was putting, uh, so much into our medical saver plan. I'm trying to think what that's called
0: now. Um, probably, but, uh, this medical savings account, I'm guessing. So it's, yeah, uh, medical savings, the account, one that yeah. you can build up. And, and when you, if you end up not using it, then you can actually use it for retirement.
1: Yeah. And I put, I maxed that out at almost 6,000 a year. Yeah. So I was putting as much in that as I could, because I could use that card for medical through the end of the year And then if not, I could put it into my, into my retirement savings. And then on top of that, you know, I was saving money. So really most of my paycheck toward the end was going just towards savings. Oh, that's cool. So I was living off what I was already freelancing anyway. So I kind of got used to that.
0: Now, let me ask you this. Would, not would, do you wish or have you thought about what would have been different had you started sooner? Is that something that you've ever thought about? Like, you know, I almost wish I would have started sooner. Granted, everything would have been different, but I mean, you know, not everybody is at the point where they're ready to leave a job after 30 years. They might only be 10 years into the workforce and are considering this. Is that, you know, they might be scared some of the same things you were talking about. Maybe they don't have a huge pile of money. You know, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, I don't have a huge pile of money, but I did. Uh, <laughs> the other thing I did is that we paid down our bills, so we we almost had no bills except for mortgage, utilities, smart. and I also any equipment that I thought I might need, I bought that ahead of time. It's like let's get all that. Let, let's let's spend all the money that we need to before we do the launch. I don't want to go. Hey, let's go buy three grand in computers now, and you know that, uh, that's really
0: smart. So for for everybody listening. You know, I don't know if I've mentioned that in the past, but when I made the jump for myself, mm-hmm. I didn't think that much about it. I just, I was at a point where I was frustrated and I said, bye. Yeah. <laughs> and you making that decision and planning ahead and being able to buy that equipment while you still had some steady income coming in was genius. I, I, I wish I had thought that much about it, but I didn't.
1: The other... So, The other thing though, that kind of put me off for doing it is that, you know, I have two kids and a wife and my, my wife had only been out of school. She went back and got her nursing degree and she had only been out of school, like three years or four years. And my daughter had just finished college and I just made my final payment to the university and then my son uh, was in college and he, he just like college wasn't for him. And, you know, we tried and anyway, he ended his college career pretty quickly and was out in the workforce. So not having those types of worries financially made a big difference. And again, it's like, yeah. I was putting as much into retirement as I could during that time period, because I knew I wasn't going to save for retirement for at least a year or two. Yeah. But, um,
0: yeah. Getting off the ground, getting things going. That make yeah, I totally yeah. get that
1: also deciding, you know, uh, I had already separated all my business. So my business finances were separate from my personal. So keeping, you know, you got to decide what is, you know, I don't want to go below this number in my account. And for me, it was three months, three months of expenses. That's what I keep in my business account at all times. If I go below that, I start getting a little, you know, a little nervous. Um,
0: That's, those are, that's great because, someone who's looking at going into business for themselves, especially if, if they've never done anything on the side may have never thought about something like that. Yeah. So So that's a great piece of advice right there.
1: Saving for your retirement as much as you can ahead of time, putting as much away for things like medical and your, your bills. And then on top of that, deciding what is a number we never go below
0: in our, our business account. And that's fantastic. um, What made you decide on three months? Was it just just what you at heart felt comfortable with?
1: That's a good question. I think a lot of business professionals will tell you three months is the minimum and that six months is probably more ideal. If you, I kind of looked at it like if I lost my job and if, if business really got bad or, you know, I could make it for three months before I had to find a job, something else, a real job, not just talking into a microphone like a, you know, given all day long. And so um if I had to do that, I could I mean I could go work at a wherever and and make some kind of money. That would be enough to kind of as a bridge to get me through.
0: Oh, that's cool. When when you made your jump into voiceover work and you got your old business as a client, where did you go from there? How did you start how did you start finding the right people? How did you know it was voiceover and not some other form of radio? You know, I know I'm hitting you with several questions. I'm just lots of things going through my head here and i'm excited to hear what you have to say about these so pick one of those two if you want you can start with um how how you knew voiceover was the route to go instead of some other form of radio and then we can dive into the other
1: voiceover has always been plan b and and i used to when i was in radio years and years ago i got let go at a radio station out of the blue and it hit me i don't have a plan b now i was lucky i, I was able to get a job pretty quickly but like i need to come up with a- another plan another f- another way to make money in case this happens again because it's going to happen again that's one thing we know things you know companies get bought the guy that hired you gets fired what happens you know well then you've got to have something else so voiceover had always been something i dabbled in over the years i would get people to when I was on the radio that would ask me to voice things for them. And I didn't necessarily take it serious. It was just extra cash. Well, I decided to start taking it seriously. So I actually went to a place in Chicago and studied. And oh, wow, I studied for several months and uh, we, I didn't have to drive to Chicago. We could do it virtually from the house. Uh, and I set, started setting up a studio and then I Voice demos and started marketing myself. When I started marketing myself, we actually mailed CDs. So, oh wow, which really isn't that long ago. I know it sounds like CDs. What do you call those again? Um, yeah, but, people are like what's that? <laughs> yeah. So, I used to mail postcards and CDs, and um, email marketing wasn't really a thing yet. Yeah. So, I had been building a voiceover business for a while. So, I decided, you know, Plan B needs to become plan A. And then hopefully down the road, I'll have another
0: plan B. So you had already done some thinking in the past about this, which made it even easier for you to jump than when the time came.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I'd been doing voiceover for 10 years before I quit. So I already had clients. I already had clients and was ready to go. And I looked at it this way the deciding factor to me was when. I'm going to start losing money by going to work. And that is my when the job is getting in the way of me growing my voiceover business. I got to the point where I was making as much at both of them. And now to move to that next step, I had to quit plan A wow. and go to plan B. And make so, plan
0: B your plan A. And make plan B plan A. Yeah. That's really cool. When you made this jump and you did all of this and you you laid that groundwork for Okay, I've been I've been doing this for several years. What would you recommend to someone who's starting a side hustle, regardless of what it is, of making that jump? Would you say to start doing it as a part-time thing before you make that jump? Is that how you would encourage people to do the same kind of like you did? I mean, you did it for 10 years, maybe they don't have to do it for 10 years. But would you encourage them to do it on the side, make sure it's something that feels like a good fit, whether it's voiceover or something else?
1: I think so. Um, I think it's always, um, I would like to be more prudent when it comes to those things. And like I said, to me, is if you're fear-based like I am, and that is a strong sense of <laughs> fear of failure, a, to me, a plan always cures fear. And so writing things down, following it, to this day, I still go back and look at my business plan of whether it's for marketing or the financial part or, or whatever, and see, you know, am I on track? Am I doing this? And, and, and so following a plan to me always makes sense. And that involves when you're going to launch too, when you're going to make that jump and put that other job behind you. Now, everybody's circumstance is different. Okay. Sure. If you're in an industry that is just you know, going to tank tomorrow or your company's being bought and you have to get out of there at some point because of some kind of financial reason, Yeah, that's that's different. But I think overall, if you can dovetail your way from part-time into full-time, that makes more sense.
0: That's cool. I like that. That's something that I've tried to encourage others to do that are working for someone and they're wanting to go out on their own, is I've tried to encourage them, hey, try it, do Mm -hmm. it on the side. I came from a background where I was straight commission. And so I wasn't really in business for myself at the time, but it operated a lot like that. So some of that fear was already tackled. I knew ups and downs. I knew what it was like to be not knowing where my next paycheck was coming from. So it made it easier for me to make that jump. And my first jump, my first real company that I started was a home inspection company. And that was, you know, I found out I didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) I created something, you know, I was doing, doing well with it, but I hated all the paperwork. Yeah. So I think that like you did ramping up to it and doing it, if you can, if you have that ability, do it on the side can make life just so much easier.
1: Yeah, it can. And again, you know, a business plan is something that you need to come up with. You need to know financially what you are trying to do as far as what your goals are. And, you know, for me, it was, I wanted to be able to ramp up within three to four years. So I was making as much as, as I was with my other job. Well, I was lucky enough or fortunate enough that, that, that happened for me. And but
0: that put me and helped keep you on track. Right.
1: It did. Yes. And I, I would say two things. When you get into working for yourself, everybody now is a salesperson. Okay if you work for yourself, you're, you're no longer just the, the, the editor or the guy who does it. No, now you are the gal who has to sell everything to. Okay. Because if you don't sell, you don't eat. Yep. And the other thing is, is that you need to continuously educate yourself about what your industry, who are the movers and shakers? How do things happen? You know, if you wanted to get into voiceover and I get people all the time, they're like, so what should I charge for things? I'm like, if you don't know what to charge, you know, maybe you need to go back and just study voiceover first before you you know start launching and you don't even know what to charge for things. You're three or four steps ahead of where you should be. You need to learn the craft first and, you know, learn who's in the business and find a mentor and things like this. That's, That's always, terrific.
0: Yeah. That actually ties into one of the questions I wanted to ask you too. If somebody was interested in voiceover and wanted to get started... How would, you, how would you recommend or what path would you recommend they take? How would they get into doing a voiceover for business?
1: So the, the things that I always tell people, the, before you start taking classes, before you start sinking any kind of money into any of this kind of stuff, uh, go buy a book. A book's 20 bucks, you know, read about it. Do your investigation. Call If you know a voice talent, don't call them up and ask them for everything in the world. Say, can I buy you a cup of coffee? You know what? I love free stuff. And so if you, if someone calls me and says, Hey man, can I buy you a cup of coffee? I'd like to bend your ear and ask you a couple of questions. Tell me about your career. Most people go, yeah. But if you, if you call them up and start peppering them with a million questions, they're going to be like, well, that's annoying. You know, Yeah. Give them, uh, take them out for a coffee or something like that. So research how, what the industry you're getting into actually works. The second thing is find a mentor or a coach and be willing to pay for it. You know, things aren't free in this life. Amen to and that. So, if someone uh if you found someone that can teach you the business, that can teach you maybe accounting, uh any of this kind of stuff, that's that's great. Along the way, you also need to decide what I want to do and what I don't want to do. I hate doing accounting. I absolutely hate it. So, I hired an accountant. My father-in-law to this day gives me a hard time about how I should not be paying somebody to do your accounting for you. That's ridiculous. I don't wanna do that, okay? Now I know how to market, so I market myself. I'm fine with that. Oh, cool. A lot of other people pay for that, but I just don't wanna do accounting. And so I made that decision early on. Yeah, I could learn it, but I don't want to. The third thing I say, if you wanna get into voiceover, and that is you need to practice. That's one thing that voice people do religiously. They practice all the time. They're always practicing. They're trying new things. There's lots of different genres in voiceover. So whether you're doing, uh, you know, IVR, interactive voice recordings for like phone systems, or you're doing narrations for documentaries, or you're doing corporate narration, or you're doing e-learning, or you're doing promo work, they're all different. And so you need to study each of the ones that you are really interested in getting in.
0: Now, if you don't mind my asking you something, Sure. When you're talking about practicing, you know, the voiceover work, how would you go about doing that? Is it, would you just watch some videos of other people doing it and then just, you know, write down what they're saying and, and practice in that manner, like practicing what someone else is already doing just to kind of get the hang of it? Or how would you go about practicing if you're new to it and want to find out? Yeah, this, this is something I want to do, or, you know, I'm headed in that direction.
1: No, that's a great question. When people do voiceover, they, they have a system of breaking down copy. And that is what is you're basically distilling a story. That's what a script is. It is telling a story. How do you tell that story effectively? Well, a coach will help you in how to break down that script so that it makes sense and that it's most effective. You basically are taking what the writer had written down and telling it how they wanted you to tell it. Anybody can say words. You know, anybody can speak, anybody can read something off a page, but make it into a story and make it compelling. That's what voiceover is. And so, practicing that because not every story is as easy to tell as another. And so, doing that in different styles is what practicing would be.
0: Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to sideline you there, no, but that was not at all something I thought, thought would be very helpful. A great question. And, it, and I think you had another thing you were about to talk about as somebody trying to get into voiceover work. Maybe, notice, maybe not.
1: And notice I haven't talked about buying a microphone yet. That's what Ooh. everybody wants to do first. They want to buy a microphone. And it's like, really, uh, don't worry about that. Okay. Really? That should not be the first thing you do. Don't go on and spend $1,000 on a microphone. And then it's not going to be right for your voice. You actually want to start working on your recording space first. That is is the next thing. Making your a good recording space. And in my studio, there are 12 different sound panels that have been put in here. From sound clouds that are up above me to sound panels on the back. I've got bass traps in the corner. This room has been tuned. It is a very quiet room. There's no noise that comes in.
0: I remember you referring to it as your fortress of solitude, I think is <laughs> yes. the term you used. I
1: borrowed that from Superman. Yes. So a good studio can make an average mic sound awesome. A terrible studio can make a great mic sound terrible. Wow. So okay. if, if you go out and buy a, you know a U47 Neumann that are, I don't know, $5,000 or whatever they are, you know. Holy cow and put that in the middle of a stadium, it's not gonna sound that great. It's not, that's not the mic you wanna use there. Uh, But if you do, if you go out and spend $99 on a microphone and you do all I've done to a studio to get it to sound just right, it's gonna make that mic really sound great. So start with an inexpensive mic, but do your room first, get your recording space. You don't wanna be close to a street. You don't wanna be close to windows. A basement corner is actually a great place. You can buy, don't buy foam, by the way. Foam is doesn't do much good. Um, what I use is I actually make my own stuff because I'm me and it's a full-time job and nobody <laughs> wants it. But I use a product called OC seven zero three, which is a rigid core fiberglass product, and it's kind of like it's really lightweight, and I make these frames. I put it in there and then I cover them with burlap. It's a, they look really nice in the back and that really controls the sound in your room. You can buy those or you can DIY them like I do, whichever you like to do. But foam actually has a tendency to take out a lot of high-end frequencies and leave a lot of the low-end. So you end up sounding like this a lot of times. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: So is foam probably what you would find. Like if you went to Amazon and found some cheap squares, those are probably the, like a foam I'm guessing. Yeah.
1: I mean, I don't think foam is totally worthless, but if there was a couple of places you needed, get at least three inch foam. Don't get one inch. It doesn't do anything at least three inches and don't glue it to your wall either. (laughs) It's a nightmare to get off.
0: I. It's funny. Having a, a background in construction, that would not have been what I would have thought to do. <laughs> Apparently you've known people to do that.
1: I've known people that have used liquid nails to put up foam. I'm like, oh my. it's foam. You could have used like sewing pins to put it up uh, or you could have glued it to like a, a piece There's of plywood
0: or plywood yeah. yeah
1: Hang that on the wall like a picture. Yeah, and that would work. So after you get your room, you've picked out your room, you've got it acoustically treated. You're not soundproofing it, you're just treating it to take out the echo and any of the bassiness. That is one of the problems that you find in studios. Then you wanna start researching your equipment. You'll need a microphone. If the microphone is a condenser, like most voiceover mics are, you'll need a power supply for it, a 48 volt uh, phantom power supply. And those are usually called a preamp. So your preamp is as important as your mic. I have a $1,000 mic and I have a $2,000 mic preamp. Together, they sound pretty decent. In fact, you're wow. in construction, you'll, my preamp is all tube. It's It has six tubes in it to
0: power it. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool.
1: And then you'll need some type of device to connect to your computer. And for me, I use an Audient ID14 great piece of equipment. It's like $300 and it's like a sound mixer and an IO and it actually has preamps on board with it also. So you could use that. It's about, you know, five inches by five inches. Works great. Sounds awesome. And then speakers, headphones, you can buy the speakers down the road, but the headphones you'll need immediately. So you can actually hear playback.
0: I imagine for somebody starting out too, the headphones don't have to be very high-end right in the beginning either, right? Just somebody they, that's new to the business.
1: Actually, they do. The oh. one thing you do need from your headphones is a true sound. They have, to, they have to sound. They don't have to be, you know, I have to spend $400 on a set of blues, but, you know, I buy $120 headphones. You need them to fit tightly around your ears or you get feedback, And you shouldn't turn your headphones up very loudly. They should be pretty quiet because listening one listening all day long in headphones will damage your hearing. And two, you don't want to be listening to your voice while you're voicing things. So a lot of people, in fact, when I voice, I usually take one ear off so that I just hear my voice a little bit, but I do a lot of live sessions with clients and so they're talking in my ear, giving me instructions in between takes.
0: So, you actually record <coughs> while they're on with you.
1: Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. That's another. So, not only will you need a DAW software, which is digital audio workstation, you'll also need to have some kind of way to connect to clients, agencies, production studios. There's various uh, ways to do it. I use Source Connect. There's a, a free version of that called Source Connect Now. There's also IPDTL that you can use. There's other systems, uh, CleanFeed. Um, there's a bunch of them out there. But Source cool. Connect is kind of the standard that a lot of the high-end studios use.
0: So now, all of this we've talked about, you've mentioned on more than one occasion a coach, a coach that can help you. And, and I know we've never talked about this before. Are you a coach of people wanting to get into voiceover? Is that something you've started doing or you just strictly do voiceover and that's it?
1: I've, I have helped uh, some people get into it. Uh, it's not something that I really want to do. Uh, okay. It's not something I have time to do. There are people that dedicate themselves to coaching that have a teaching, a whole teaching system. And I have it all broken down and I walk people through a system, but I don't do it that often. Uh oh, Gotcha. So I have produced demos for people because I have a background in production. I did that for some, so many years, but I try not to, I try to spend most of my time
0: doing voiceover more so than teaching it. Gotcha. If someone wanted help, they think they want to do voiceover, they want help. Do you know people that you could refer them to? Like if they were to reach out to you and just start a conversation with you, would you be able to connect them or guide them in a way that would help them possibly dip their toes in the water and see if it's a good fit for them?
1: Yes. I, I, yes. I have a list of people. I work, I still work with a coach. Uh, awesome. I had a session. In fact, actually, right now I'm working with two coaches. Uh, I've been working with the same guy since 2014 and he's great. And uh, we just had a session the other day, but I, I wanted to just see try someone else out because they do uh, more uh narration documentary type work. And so I wanted to work with him for a while. So I've signed up and, and done a couple sessions with him. You know, you can spend anywhere from a hundred to 300 plus dollars an hour. It's, yep, it's not cheap, but it's worth it.
0: That's the key right there. Yes. Personally, I have a coach, so I know exactly what you're talking about. It's something I encourage people to do coach mastermind group, something. Yes where you're connected with others, where you can ask questions, you can learn. Because as I'm sure you've heard many times, I've heard many times, when you're inside the bottle, you can't read the label. Yes. So having somebody on the outside helping yes. is a huge, huge benefit.
1: It is a huge benefit. Even if you started out, and I also have another uh, a support system, besides my wife and my coach, I also have a promo group that we meet once a month, and we just talk about promotion and marketing. And, and we actually have a thread that is always going on, on messaging all the time that we're always, you know, Hey, I did this, or Hey, I'm trying this, or what do you guys think of this? It's always going, we formally meet like once a month, but those three people are really, are an important part of my support group. And I don't know what I do without them. It's, it's nice to have somebody in the industry. You can bounce things off of at at a moment's notice. And I would say this, pick people that are at your level. If you pick a bunch of pros and you're a newbie, they're going to get frustrated with you and you're going to get frustrated with them so pick people that you're at the same level because then you kind of
0: go through this journey together that's awesome advice yes, because I've talked with people that are so far advanced in something, and it's like you feel like you're not even talking the same language yeah, and they don't they forgot where they where they came from they don't remember what it was like to be at that stage. So those are, yeah. those are excellent points and awesome advice. And I, Steve, I, I want to make sure that everybody knows good places to link up with you. And with, you have the voiceover hustle as your podcast. And uh-huh. I believe that's the voiceoverhustle.com will get them to that. Yep. Correct. That and is then, correct. Yes. Then we also have Steve O'Brien vo.com, which yep. is your main website. And that's a good way for people to connect with you. But where do you? Where's a good place that you would like people to connect with you? I know you mentioned Twitter at one point, but where are you at that people would be a good spot for them to hook up? Is the website the best? Or
1: the they can reach me through the website. They can reach me through Steve O'Brien Voiceover. Uh, Steve O'Brien Voiceover on Facebook. They can also. I think I, I yes, I do have an Instagram account, although I i ignore it a lot of times but yeah if you want to message me steve at steve o'brien vo and it's not bo like body odor it's vo like voiceover.com you'd be surprised how many people get
0: that wrong i i totally get it when it comes to phonetics and in my name with my last name being van dyke Yes. even Jared, they I get my name messed up so much. I'm spelling most of my name most of the time, so I totally get it.
1: well, the the last two steps I would say in your journey to do voiceover, and that is have a professional demo done. Don't have it done by your buddy Jake, okay? Have it done by somebody that is a professional at doing demos. I'm a producer i was I was averaging a hundred productions a week when I left radio. Wow. I know how to produce, but I don't do my own because I'm not a total moron. I, I know it sounds somewhat like a moron. I'm not a total
0: moron. I would never say you sound like a moron. You're the, actually, you're the best voice I hear on one of the podcasts I listen to. So
1: I, I actually, the way I go through, uh, because because I know what I want on a demo. You always need something retail, and then you want to pick categories that you know are hot or that you're good at. So anything in healthcare is really big right now. So healthcare, insurance is good. Anything in finance is really good, a Fidelity spot or Barclays or anything like that. And so a demo, go to a producer that you know and trust. That's what I do. There's a studio in town that I've done a lot of work with. I know one of the producers and I call him up and say, hey, I've got copy. Let's produce a demo. I practice it and I know it inside and out. I know exactly where I'm going to go with it. I walk in, I cut more copy than I'm going to need. I usually cut about 11 to 12 spots, which is I'm going to use like eight and I go through that much. And then I tell him, you pick out what we keep and what we don't.
0: Oh, wow. You know,
1: you, he coaches me through it during it. And usually we can do that in about an hour In about an hour. I can cut off. I can get that all done because I'm prepared. I know where I want to go with this. And then I let him loose and he does his thing. That's cool. And um,
0: having the right people makes all the difference in the world.
1: Yes. And at some point, the other thing when you, when you work for yourself is letting go is important. You you have to have faith and trust in the professionals you work with that you've hired to do, whether you've got an accountant like I do, and I just trust her. <laughs> I trust her with my financial life. I know that she's never going to miss anything. And if she does, she's going to fix it right away. And when Ben does my uh, my demo, I know
0: he's going to make it sound good. Just let go and, and- That sounds like common sense, but it's not easy to do. No, it's not. It is not easy to do. (laughs) No,
1: especially if you're a control enthusiast like myself. Um,
0: (laughs) And then I think you said we got one more thing that you wanted to cover for voiceover. What is that final thing you had in in mind?
1: So the first five steps are all about becoming uh, who you want to become and having the basic tools to get the job Mm -hmm. done. The last step is the most important, and that is marketing. Marketing yourself is the most important thing. Now that's, that's the one step that you can kind of study as you're doing everything, as you go along, everything else I actually put in line, you should do that in that exact order. In my opinion, Okay. the last one, you can kind of learn that as you go along, read marketing books, talk to salespeople, if you have a friend. Like Jared, who has done sales, bend bend their ear. Talk to them about what, how do you overcome no? Uh, how yeah. do you get your name out there? One of the things that, and one book I would highly recommend that you read, it's called Building a Story Brand. And it talks about how uh, when you market, you're telling a story. And most people make themselves the hero of their story. Yep. But it's actually the client who is the hero of the story.
0: I like that book so, a lot. Yeah, Actually, that, I that's one physical, I highly recommend. And I have the audio book. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I am definitely so, an
0: audible audio learner. So I I do a ton through audio. So I I got both versions. I've been through both versions. Yes, Steve is absolutely right. Get that book.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely it's absolutely essential that you come up with a marketing plan. And uh, once again, there's going to be things that you can do yourself and there's going to be things that you can't do if you're not very good at social media marketing and I'm not I've consulted with people and they'll come up with a plan give it to me and uh, give me ideas of things uh, which way to go with this and that and it works
0: awesome well Steve I am so appreciative of your time thank you for coming on the show today it means the world to me is there any last thoughts or any last things you'd like to put out there for the audience
1: The only thing I would say is this, and that is jumping is the hardest thing to do. Once you do that, everything becomes a little bit easier, but don't stop taking chances. Take as many chances as you can. Make as many connections as you can. You don't know if it's going to uh, pay off down the road. I always say you can't have too many friends, and so get to know as many people as you can. That could affect you down the road as far as how your business runs too, but also just your life.
0: That's fantastic advice to to leave on. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of Up Your Average. This episode may be over, but you can head over to upyouraveragepodcast.com where you'll find more resources, the show notes, and any links or additional info mentioned in the episode.